Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and I'm really excited about today's episode. But before I introduce my guest, I want to tell you about some great offers from our friends over at Omaha Steaks. Uh, Labor Day is almost upon us, and while a day off is always awesome, it also means that summer is coming to an end. You need to take full advantage of every grilling opportunity you have left, and what better way to do it than with Omaha Steaks? I actually think there might be a filet mignon burgers in my grill's near future. And if you want to celebrate grilling season in the most epic way possible, you have to get Omaha Steaks Deluxe Grill Out Assortment. This fantastic package contains more than 30 entrees, including bacon wrap filets, ooh, bacon, all beef meatballs, boneless pork chops, the epic apple tartlets, and more. And when you use my promo code, you not only get 50% off this amazing assortment, but Omaha Steaks will throw in another 12 burgers for free. How do you beat that? So don't wait. Go to omahasteaks.com backslash hoppin. That's my name, hoppin, H-O-P-P-E-N. Again, you'll receive over 30 awesome entrees, including the 12 free burgers, for an amazing one-time price. Get to omahasteaks.com backslash hoppin' to take advantage and take your grilling game to the next level today. And now let's get to my guest, Chelsea Schroeder. I'm really excited about this guest that I bring, get to bring you today. And I full disclosure, I'm not normally a huge sweets person. I prefer the savory side of cooking. I don't really eat dessert all that often. So when I do, it usually has to be something pretty special. And let me tell you, Omaha, I think I've found something pretty special here, and that is the Bubbly Tart. That's a bakery in downtown Omaha that is doing some really, really cool things, and I am so blessed today to have the owner and pastry chef as my guest, Chelsea Schroeder. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, Dan. I It is all my pleasure. And I, I just want to give a quick story to kind of introduce Bubbly Tart, and that is... Before we even got connected, back when you were still at the Switch, you guys ran some kind of a some kind of a promotion and one of those like share things on Instagram for um, it was a half dozen like cookie sandwiches, so mm-hmm. a couple chocolate chip cookies with icing in the middle, and I was one of the winners. And I remember I went and I got them and I brought them home, and I was working from home at the time. And I think I ate four of them <laughs> in the first day. <laughs> my wife came home and she's like, I thought you got six of these. And I was like, yeah, I, I gave them to neighbors. <laughs> but they were that good. And and I think that I just want people to understand, like, this is the level of dessert that we're talking about. Um, I guess I, I just want to open it up to you to start things off. In your mind, what makes Bubbly Tart a, a different bakery from all the other bakeries that Omaha has to offer? Um, so Omaha does have a lot of great bakeries. Um, I will be the first to admit that that I have a lot of competition. Like, And I don't even look at it as competition. I think we're all kind of a family, and everybody has their own little thing that they do, and it makes Omaha great. Uh, what kind of sets us a little bit apart is um, we're open later. Uh, I spent many years getting up early and I gave up on that. So <laughs> we don't open till 11, um, but we're open till eight on the weekdays and then nine o'clock on the weekends. Eventually we will have champagne. Um, Ooh. the liquor license apparently takes a lot yeah. of, um, stuff. And there was some issues earlier, um, <laughs> where I went to the hospital while they needed some liquor license stuff so that was a little delayed but eventually we will have champagne hence the bubbly tart oh okay i was gonna ask you about the name but there you go that's where the bubbly part comes from yes yes so eventually we will have champagne um 
Yeah. I don't. <laughs> so, so just to provide a little bit of context um, for what you guys have, if somebody wanted to come into the shop, I mean, there's brownies, cookies, cupcakes, tarts, macarons. You can also place specific orders for cakes, cakesicles, pies, all kinds of confections. Yes. You kind of do the whole the whole spectrum. What's your best seller? Like, what are you guys best known for? Um, so we make a lot of the number and letter cakes. Like, we make like 30 a week, maybe more. It's essentially all we do all day long. Uh, number cakes, the macarons are a really good seller too. Uh, the cakesicles, there's really not a whole lot of places in Omaha that do have them. Um, and I like to do fun things like mermaids and unicorns because you need a little bit of magic in your life. Um, okay, you yeah. got you got to tell me what is the deal with these number and letter cakes? Because I feel like those just over the last couple months just blew up. Like I don't remember seeing them before, but now it's just like social media is just all letter cakes and number cakes. It's crazy. It is, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure where the trend started. I made my first one back in like November last year, but uh, just over the last. I don't know, four months, it's just been insane how many we make a, d- a day, a week. Um, it's nothing I ever expected, but they look great, and they're always custom to every person, so I think that's what people really like. Mm-hmm. Now, I need a little bit more information about these cakesicles, because like you mentioned, that's a pretty unique item that you guys offer. Now, cake pops are something that has really exploded in popularity in recent years. You can find cake pops anywhere. But cakesicles are kind of like Cake Pop's older brother. Yeah. So where did you get the idea for cakesicles? Um, so actually, I saw them at, um, I took a chocolate class at Valrona in New York City, and that was part of their little thing, and that was like six years ago. Um, so that's when I made the first one, and then I... Um, well, they were one of the first things on the menu when I opened up in 2019, and they just—they're just like cake pops, except like you said, they're way more advanced. They—we uh, just use a mold instead of rolling them into a ball, and can dip them and fun little things. What was customers' first interaction when they started seeing those? Like wh- when you were interacting with them, were, were they just like, "What is this?" or did they just go for it right away? What What was that response? Yeah, so um, a lot of people were curious as to what a cake sickle is because it sounds kind of funny, and they're like, "Well, is it ice cream?" I'm like, "No, it's you know like a cake pop, in a form of a popsicle." Um, but uh, people really love them because, like I said, we do all customized stuff, um, so they really enjoy that that special thing that's just for them just for their event right right um one of my other favorite things that i learned about the bubbly tart while doing my research is the way that you repurpose leftover pieces of cake ganache jams all that stuff so tell me about trash cakes what what are trash cakes and what was the genesis behind this thing um so like i said we do a ton of number cakes and we make our cakes in a sheet pan and then we cut out the shapes that we need therefore we have a ton of leftover cake uh we do use that cake to make our cake sickles but we just have so much of it that we don't know what to do with it and i didn't want to throw it away because it just seems very wasteful um, granted I do have chickens that would love to eat it, but they don't need to live off of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
therefore, one morning I was like, well, let's just take all of our leftover stuff and we'll just put it in this pie pan. And then we're trying to figure out what to call it. And I'm like, well, why not just a trash cake? Because that's where it was going to go if it didn't go in this pan. It was in the trash. So um, people seem to love them a lot. I mean, they're $20. It's like 8 to 10 servings. They're not super fancy, but they taste great. And they still do look pretty nice in a little pan. Uh-huh. If you're not, if you're fine with eating a bunch of scraps of cake, then I think they're the way to go. <laughs> yeah, right. And you've done like some things with similar items as well, right? Like I think I saw something on your Instagram about cinnamon roll cookies yeah. or something along those yeah. lines. So um, we, one Sunday we had a ton of cinnamon rolls left over, and um, I do let my staff like they get to take home leftover stuff. It's one of the perks of working there. You get free stuff. Um, but there was one Sunday, there was just so many. I was like, well, let's do something with it. So I was like, well, let's just throw in the mixer and mix it with some more cream cheese frosting and then roll it in a ball and stuff it in a cookie. And they were actually really good. So put them on the menu for a little bit. And now we don't have any more cinnamon rolls. (laughs) (laughs) They've all been gone. So fair enough. Um, how long did it take you to perfect the art of the macaron? And you'll probably be humble here and say that you haven't perfected it, but yours are some of the best that I've had. And I've had some bad ones, but yours are very, very good. How long does it take to figure out that process? Uh, So actually, um, that class in New York City that I took, they had this different method of macarons. Um, I had never heard of it. I went to a French culinary school, so that's the way I was taught was the French way. There's apparently a whole other method called the Italian method, (laughs) and that's what these are made with. Um, So there's no worrying about humidity, which, you know. It's big in Nebraska. It's huge. So there's really no worrying about humidity. They don't have to form a skin. Like, it's it's crazy how they work. Um, But I used the recipe that that class taught, and it took about six months to get it adapted to work in our kitchen uh, or for us to use. Um, For some reason, the ovens are obviously a little different all the time. So it's just trying to figure out the temperature and, like, where the pans can sit because they are still kind of temperamental because they'll never get easy. But, um, yeah, about six months at my house trying to figure everything out, and they seem to work pretty good now. Can you go into that process a little bit more? Because I think that that's something that most people don't really understand is that there are so many things in the environment that affect baking times that you have to adjust for at all times. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So specifically with the max, um, so the Italian method that we use, we cook the sugar baking wise. Yeah. Like humidity, it definitely makes a huge difference. Um, cold outside, hot outside. It all depends. Um, oven temperatures are huge. Times are huge. I have recipes, and the girls that work for me, they're always like, well, how long is it in the oven? I'm like, well, I don't know, because every oven is different. Um, It depends on where you put it in the oven. Like, if you put it towards the top, that's where the heat's at, so therefore, it's going to cook a little faster. It's going to get a little darker versus if you had it in the middle of the oven. Um, Just things like that. I don't have times for anything. I've never timed anything, (laughs) which is really bad, because in the summer, stuff doesn't take as long to bake as it does in the winter. Um, so different cookies take different times and it's just, it's easier for me to just be like, well, it's done when it's done, you know, stick the toothpick in it. If it comes out clean, then you're good. Uh It's something that you develop a feel for over time. Yeah. Now you get creative with your flavors at at Bubbly Tart. I've 
going through the Instagram, there were cupcakes like cinnamon pretzel Milo cupcakes or pineapple rum cheesecakes. But I felt like you didn't get like too crazy and wild. Like in this day and age of a trying it to attract eyeballs on Instagram, you see all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I just Googled like crazy mm-hmm. cupcake f- flavors coming into this. And I found things like BLT, beer, buffalo wings. And there was even one that was flavored like Mountain Dew and topped with Doritos dust. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> some of this stuff is great. It doesn't sound all that great to me, but people get wild and wacky with the flavors. My overall point here is how do you toe the line between being creative and developing new flavors that are going to interest people and kind of just jumping the shark and going so far in the other direction where it's kind of a stunt food? Uh, So it is Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I did go to uh, culinary school in Los Angeles, California. They definitely have a little more different tastes than Omaha. Um, I think Omaha is kind of more of a middle of the road, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, Actually, the food that we sell is stuff that I would like to eat. And I'm not big on buffalo-flavored cupcakes. It sounds <laughs> disgusting to me. If it sounds great to you, have at it, but it's not my thing. So basically, if we sell anything, it's because I would eat it. <laughs> so, And if I would eat it, I'd say a majority of the people would too. Mm-hmm. When did you develop that mindset? Because I feel that's something that I hear time and time again, whether it's bakers, whether it's cooks, whether it's chefs, they come on here and they say, I just, for the most part, I cook whatever sounds good to me. Like, how do you learn to adopt that mindset versus saying, I have to cater to what the customer wants? Um, so I actually, that was something that they really pushed when I went to culinary school. Um, I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Los Angeles. And um, that was something, we had recipes and we had assignments that we had to make. And we had to kind of follow them. But they're like, there are things you can do to change it if it's something you would want to eat. Obviously, if we're learning how to cook a steak, you have to cook a steak. Um, but there were just other differences that you could do. Like if it needed a butter, um, compote butter, but if you wanted something else instead of rosemary, then they were, they were fine with that. They're like, you know, make it how you would want to eat it. Um, so they, they really pushed that when I went to culinary school and, uh, I can give them all the credit for it. (laughs) They just, what sounds good to you? Cause if you don't like it, they're not going to like it cause you didn't try it. So then you're not going to get a good grade. Mm Mm-hmm. Take me back to the beginning. How'd you get interested in baking? Um, so my parents actually owned a little cafe in the town that I was grew up in. So I went to work there when I was like 12, um, washing dishes, bussing tables. And then eventually I started cooking food and I figured I might as well go to culinary school because it was, it was easy. Seemed like the easy choice. Um, and I wanted to get out of Nebraska. So went to Los Angeles and... Uh, I actually graduated from their full program, so I did learn how to cook food, and I took a bunch of um, interesting classes over there, but the baking classes were always easier. Um, Everything just seemed so natural, Um, so I just figured I might as well stick with that. More comfortable. Did you go into Le Cordon Bleu knowing that baking was probably going to be the route, or did you just go in with an open mind and, like you said, you kind of gravitated towards baking. Yeah, I just went in just to see, um, to learn new things and figure out what felt best. Um, they had a lot of different programs. They had, like, their baking classes, and then they had, like, an international class where you learned how to cook food from all over the world. And then they had, like, a garmage, which was which would be charcuterie and sausages. Um, and then they had a couple other classes. Uh, you know, you just 
they gave you a variety to see where you felt more comfortable in and the baking ones were always easier for me. Mm -hmm. I find it so interesting in that people who grow up in restaurants, like their parents own a restaurant, they tend to go in one of two directions. They either like go hard into the restaurant world and they just love it or they see how hard it is and they just run a thousand miles in the opposite direction. What was it that attracted you to it and said, this is what I want to do with my life? Um, I, it, I don't know. It was kind of a hard decision. Um, my parents, I saw the sacrifices that they made. Um, we didn't really see them when we were growing up because they worked all the time. Um, they were the people that were there 24 seven, like they worked all the time. And I knew going into owning my own business, I didn't want that. Like I, it's, it's hard and people, um, they do expect a lot from you if you own your own company, but I've just decided that there's a time where I just have to shut everything off and take time for myself. And so I don't get burnt out. So I don't close the doors in a year because I'm tired of working, you know, 24 seven. So it's just a good life balance. Like I saw what they went through and knew I wanted to own a business, but I didn't wanted to own it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, now, after culinary school, you came back to Omaha and you ended up working at a catering company yes. for a dozen years, if that's correct. Yes, yes. We haven't really delved much into the world of catering on this show so far. So can you maybe just kind of, just real broad here, where, whatever direction you're going to take, can you kind of shed some light on what that world and what that style of cooking is like? Um. So actually... I do prefer it versus like restaurant cooking, um, catering. You're not doing most places don't do the same thing every day, day in, day out. I know a lot of restaurants change their, change their menus weekly. Um, but catering, you know, you have one event that wants, you know, a basic buffet with chicken and potatoes. And then you have another event the same day that wants a bunch of hors d'oeuvres and charcuterie and things like that. And then you have another party that just wants like, past appetizers and then one that just wants desserts so I mean it's the fact that it's different all the time was was really good for me um I don't like doing the same thing over and over again so which shows in your work because you've got so many different creative <laughs> desserts you're doing new stuff all the time that it kind of allows for that creative outlet um I was reading an old article about uh, about you and it talked about during your catering job you realize that many people had a very narrow view of desserts. What does that mean? Um, so people usually associate desserts and sweet together. Um, don't get me wrong, I do like sugar, but I don't want it to just taste sweet. Um, that's a big thing. I have a lot of people that are like, oh, this is really good. It's not as sweet as I th would, would think. And, you know, that makes me feel good because I want people to actually enjoy the flavors of the stuff instead of just tasting sugar. Um, so that's kind of that thing on that. I just, I don't want to taste sugar when I eat desserts. I want to taste something else. Can you give me some examples and in, in some stuff that people might find in your cases at the bubbly tart right now? Uh, so right now we have a bunch of cupcakes. Uh, we have the trash cakes. We've got, uh, cheesecake. So these are more individual size. We have a s'mores one, a berry, and then a coffee caramel one. Uh, we have the macarons. We have a bunch of cookie sammies. Uh, oatmeal cream pies are the big ones. Um, uh, like specifically oh. things that aren't just sugar. Oh, like okay. How are you incorporating those different flavors in along with the sugar? Perfect. Um, so the buttercream that we use in our cookie sammies, um, 
it's the same buttercream that we use on our cakes. And I get a lot of comments that, oh, this is really good. It's not that sweet. I really enjoy that. And that's one of the things that, um, to make a cake taste really good, because cake is cake to me, uh, it's not my favorite dessert. And I would always pass on it if there were other options. Um, but they're always like, the buttercream is really, really good. And that's because we use real butter and we don't use as much sugar as most recipes call for. So. Okay. How did you come to the decision to start out on your own? Um, I was working for the catering company for, like you said, 12 years. And um, I wanted to do more than what I was allowed to. I still had a lot of freedom, but I wanted to push myself more because I was getting in the rut of doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, I had um, I could change the dessert menu seasonally. I could do whatever I wanted, basically, but I was still limited to certain kinds of desserts, um, specifically miniature desserts. And 12 years of it is 12 <laughs> years too many of doing miniature things. So I wanted to do new stuff. Um, so I decided to go out on my own and just do whatever I wanted then. Um, so, yeah, in January of 2019 is actually when you signed on with uh, Kitchen Council. Yes. Um, can you tell me tell me a little bit about Kitchen Council and how important was it in bringing your dream to life? Uh, so they were actually the biggest portion of bringing my dream to life. Um, I knew I wanted to bake on my own. I knew I didn't want to bake out of my house. Um, no offense to people that do. There's nothing wrong with that. I just knew that's not something that I wanted to do. Um, because there's a lot of limitations, uh, what you can do. So I looked into commercial kitchens or even renting out, you know, a restaurant's kitchen, uh, kitchen council came up and they're actually exactly what I needed. I could rent a table. I'd have shelves in the refrigerator, shelves in the freezer, dry storage space. I could use the kitchen 24 seven whenever I wanted to come in. Um, it was really great. They offered a lot of help too on the business end, um, they were just, it's a really good program for anyone looking to start up or for food trucks. They have a lot of food trucks that work out of their caterers. Uh, they have a few bakers. I mean, it's just, it's really good for Omaha to have something like that. So as you're operating out of kitchen council, are you doing catering? Are you taking individual orders? Are you doing party orders? Like what, what was your business like as it first started? Uh, so when it first started, it was a lot of just birthday parties. Uh, I did a few weddings. It was just a lot of small custom orders. Um, so I did that. I did a couple catering things for Kitchen Council because they would host events. But uh, not a whole lot of that. I did uh, some cake decorating classes. Um, and then came December, and I realized people really liked desserts that were themed. So uh, that was fun. And uh, we did a bunch of little variety boxes for Christmas and stuff. Um, yeah, and then the switch opened in the summer of the next year, and I was able to do more stuff then. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into that opportunity, but let I, I want to go back real quick because this is I'm, – I'm amazed at how new businesses kind of get their legs underneath them. And obviously the Bubbly Tart, very well established now. You've got over 5,000 followers on Instagram – People know this brand. This is something. Obviously, that's not the case when you first start out. So, like, the first couple of weeks, the first couple of months that you're operating out of Kitchen Council, how are you getting the word out and letting the public know that this is available now? Yeah, um, so that was really scary because I actually had 
quit my job that I had had for 12 years. And it was really hard. It was a very big step to actually just give up my security blanket, essentially, and just go for it. Um, So one of the big things is if you can take a halfway decent picture of food and post it online, people will buy it. That is what I figured out. If the picture is halfway decent, they'll buy it. (laughs) So um, I owe a lot of credit to some online photography classes. I am not a professional by any means and would never claim to be. But uh, they did show me how to take good pictures and to just post them online. Um, Word of mouth is really big. I am very lucky to have some friends who have very large families that have lots of kids. So they helped out a lot too. On that photography angle, it really amazes me, and I'm not going to call it anyone specifically or anything like that, but there are a lot of restaurants that do not take good photos of their food at all. They're, they'll post pictures, even they'll post pictures frequently, so you know that they're trying to have a presence on Instagram, but they're not really putting a lot of effort into the actual photo itself. So can you maybe just give like, I don't know, one or two tips on like how you upped your photo game, um, things that you learned from those online classes? Um, so lighting, lighting is the biggest thing that I can tell anyone. Just make sure you have good lighting. Uh, number two is I don't stage my food because I suck at it. So <laughs> if you're not good at staging food, just take a picture of the food. Let the food speak for itself. Don't try to set it all up next to the ingredients and stuff like that. That's too much work. Just have good lighting and keep it simple. Like That's all people really care about is to see the picture of the food. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier that the the idea is down the road to provide champagne, and that's how the bubbly part of the bubbly tart came into the name. But as you're operating out of Kitchen Council, you know, obviously you're not offering champagne. So how did you come up with that name originally? Was was it always part of the plan to have champagne involved down the road, or or how did you come up with the name? Uh, So actually, I had been planning on the bubbly tart for a couple years before we even opened um, before I even left the company that I was working for. Um, so the name had been there for a while. I just, uh, I knew I wanted something that would work whether there was champagne involved or not. Um, it's a little funny now by itself without the champagne. When you add champagne, it makes more sense, but it still works. So that was my plan on that. Well, I i mean, w- before I did research for this, I was completely unaware of the champagne thing, and I never thought the name Bubbly Tart was weird because bubbly can also mean, like, friendly mm-hmm. and fun. And I'm looking at one of your cake sickles right now that has a mermaid's tail on it. It Like, that bubbly describes <laughs> that very thing. So I think it works even without the champagne component, although adding champagne is not going to be a bad thing. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Champagne is never bad. <laughs> so when and how did the opportunity to operate out of the switch arise? Um, so the Green Slate is who uh, owned the switch when I started. They actually reached out to Kitchen Council to see if there were any members that might be interested in opening up in their spot. Um they happened the bay that I wanted that we ended up going in was not available when I had originally asked um but a week later it became available so I took it because um the lease was really flexible um it was like a 60-day notice and you could leave whenever you wanted uh I mean there wasn't a lot of risk involved on my half so I figured if it didn't work out it doesn't work out and it's not a big loss um because they did provide like the refrigerator and the freezer 
and all the space was already everything was done. We just essentially moved in and brought in some small things, but uh, yeah, I was really excited when they told me that the space was available and figured I should take it. What was it like actually having a space to dip- to display and sell your product versus just posting pictures online? Uh, it was really good. I it was I really enjoyed it. It was nice to get new people that had never heard of us. Uh, because the tenants above in those apartments, as well as other people coming in for the other restaurants that were open there, um, it's really good to see people's faces. Uh, people get really excited when they see desserts. Um, it's still really cute watching them. <laughs> they just get these big smiles on their faces. So yeah, well, I mean, especially in those first days and weeks before you know it was well established that there was this dessert place in the switch. I'm sure people. Lots of people probably walked in looking for a meal. Maybe they're going to grab a beer at the bar or something. And then there's this dessert shop, and they're they're looking at your stuff. Like, what was it like to see just kind of that excitement, maybe like this thrill of the unknown? Like, what is this new thing? What was it like to see customers for the first time like that? Uh, you know, it's, it's a really good feeling. Um, I really enjoy making people happy. Uh, It's probably the number one reason why I do actually bake is because desserts make people happy. Um, You're never going to find someone eating a piece of cake or ice cream that's mad, hopefully, (laughs) unless you just got broken up with. But then you definitely need all the ice cream. But people are happy when they eat desserts, so it's always good to see them happy. I don't Mm. like sad people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you were at the Switch for a while, but then... This past January of 2021, you actually got a chance to move into the old Farina 4 location down on uh, 3020 Leavenworth. A lot more space, beautiful display cases. What has that space done to help you grow your business? Uh, we actually have like tripled our sales wow. already. Yeah, through COVID, it's been... I was really surprised. I wasn't sure what we were going to do going in, but uh, like I said, we've tripled our... like custom orders um last year at this time i was doing maybe five a week and now we do like 40 to 60 every week um on top of all the weddings like we have three weddings this weekend we have seven next weekend um so we do get we we've been pretty busy like if you go in we don't usually have a lot of people sit in there to eat but people do come pick up stuff and leave and it works out Mm mm-hmm Obviously, when you're working at Kitchen Council, you're not doing much design work in terms of welcoming customers. You're pretty limited at the switch because you you have that small bay, but everything else is kind of built in. When you get your own brick and mortar, you get, I mean, it's just a blank canvas and you can kind of do what you want with it. And obviously it was a bakery before, so that kind of, some of your uh, processes were already kind of set in place. Some of your instruments were already set, but what was that like for you getting to go into a space and just having this blank canvas and being like, I can make this my own? Is that fun? Is it intimidating? A little bit of both? Uh, definitely a little bit of both. Uh, if you go in and if you had been into Freen and 4, you'll actually see not a lot has changed. Um, the previous owner, Ellie, she put a lot of time and effort and money into that space, and it looks great. Um, I didn't feel like it really needed a whole lot of changing. Um, I did add a green wall because it needs a little bit of color. But, I mean, other than that, the space is great. Um, We moved in a few items, but otherwise I purchased a bunch of her stuff that she had, so she didn't have to worry about moving it out, and I didn't have to worry about moving it in. So uh, it actually kind of worked out for both of us. Mm -hmm. 
you kind of talked about your your different hours, and and one of the reasons is you don't want to get up super early, and, no. and most bakers are you know getting up at three, four, maybe even earlier in the morning. But there's also I think there's a value to being open later in that. You know, like, if I want to go pick up something from the bubbly tart on a work day, I have to go over lunch. I have to sacrifice my lunch break. Or, I'm sorry, if I go to a, a normal bakery, I have to sacrifice my lunch break. If I go to the bubbly tart, I can go after work. Was there some thinking of that that went into the business plan? Uh, yeah, actually, that was a big thing as to staying open later is because people, you know, they work. You know, some people have nine-to-five jobs. And like you said, you sacrifice your lunch to go over. I wanted something that was open when they get off of work. Or you don't have to hurry up and go in the morning before they close, before you go to work. You know, I didn't want people to be rushed. Um, eventually, when we have the champagne, like, if you're on your way home and it's been a really stressful day, you know, you can stop, have a glass of champagne, drive responsibly home, and, uh, you know, kind of rewind or relax a little before you, you know, deal with your family and home life because that's always fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're all... There are a lot of home bakers out there that have dreams of opening a brick and mortar. And some of them are excellent. A lot of them have done so. I don't know if I should say a lot of them, but several of them have done so successfully, even here in Omaha. But it is not easy to to go from baking at home and even selling online to opening your own shop. Can you kind of explain the difficulties behind that and maybe someone who, a home baker who might be thinking about, oh, I should do a brick and mortar, maybe say... Yeah, I encourage you, but keep these things in mind as well. Um, so honestly, that's where I would say Kitchen Council comes in huge. There's also no more empty pots in Omaha as well. Um, places like that, um, Kitchen Council does offer help and directional stuff in getting your business. Like they offer, you know, classes and they do offer papers and they know people who can who can fund you and um, – they have connections to a bunch of companies in Omaha that can help you out. Uh, so they were a huge asset to me when I was uh, when I was there. Um, and I honestly don't think I could have opened anything uh, from my house to uh, retail right away. Um, but I went in to Kitchen Council knowing I'd be there for a few years. Um, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to bake, and if it doesn't work out, I'll go get a job somewhere else. It, it'll be fine. And uh, we actually grew a lot in a year. So um, if you have, if you're willing to work and put in the effort, you can definitely open your own business. And um, it's just a lot of work. And I do recommend reaching out to people for help because you don't have to do it on your own. What's one piece of advice that you've learned that you wish you could go back to yourself? or uh, go back and tell yourself two, three years ago when you were starting the business up? Mm. Sleep more. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, anyone who owns their own business, you know you work all the time, and it's really hard to detach yourself from it and just let your staff run it for you to trust them completely. Um so that would be my thing is just to relax a little and just, you know, trust other people to, to take care of it for you. I mean, that's what you pay them for. And you just have to relax, stop micromanaging like you were used to doing everything on your own. And now you have people that can do it for you and you can just kind of do the fun stuff. That is a common refrain that I hear from chefs and that it's very hard 
to let go of their dishes or to take a night off from the restaurant and and let the sous chef or, or someone else handle it because ultimately, regardless of who cooks or who bakes, it's their name who people are going to associate that food with. So that's a very hard thing to give up ownership of. How did you learn that lesson? Um, it was actually a really big slap in the face uh, how I learned mine. I spent a week in the hospital with COVID in April. Um, so that was how I learned how to let go because oh, um, two weeks before – I actually had an allergic reaction, and so I had gone to the hospital about three times to get uh, medication because I was swollen and looked like Zoidberg from Futurama uh, <laughs> for, for two weeks. So, uh, yeah, it that was that was it. That was like, you know what? My staff is fully capable of me not being there. Like, they know what they're doing, um, and I hope people can learn – not that way because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you got a valuable lesson. Out yeah, there. obviously I, not the preferred way to learn that lesson. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what is one thing about owning a bakery that you think the general public doesn't know that you wish that they did? Um, it is it is a lot of work. Um, my boyfriend tells me a lot. It's not a real job. Because all I do is bake cookies. Um, it is actually work. Um, I do bake cookies. But, you know, I do also the social media. I do ordering. Um, my mother, who is wonderful, does all my accounting. Which is a big help, so I don't have to do that. But, like, I manage all of our employees. Like, it is a lot of work. And um, so just be nice to everyone, to me too. I really, if I don't get back to your email right away, I'm super sorry. But... I'm in the kitchen baking, so that's just my biggest thing right now. Mm -hmm. And then to to end our conversation here on a positive note, and you might have touched on this already throughout the conversation, but just to reinforce it, what's your favorite thing about being a baker? Um, you know, just to make people happy. Um, I do like desserts, but uh, seeing people happy is probably the best thing about being a baker. That's fantastic. I mean, how can you do any better than that? Making right. people happy. Um, people, I highly encourage you, check out the bubbly tart. Uh, if you feel like, hey, I'm going to go into the shop, I'm going to feel intimidated because there's so much stuff there, you can get this awesome thing called a grazing box, uh, which has a bunch of different items. So you can try out a bunch of different things, maybe even bring that home to the family or take it to a party and let everybody go crazy and try some different stuff. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I encourage you to follow... The Bubbly Tart on Instagram, or you can go to thebubblytart.com or just visit the shop down in Leavenworth. I think that's the best place to kind of actually see all this stuff and you can, you know, point and choose and do everything. And I, I think you're going to be thrilled. I, I have been every time I've eaten Bubbly Tart desserts. And um, I thank you so much, Chelsea, for your hard work and getting this thing started. Thank you for coming on the show today and giving your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. No problem. As always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.